Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors, Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando. And as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about and what we're preaching. So you first, what is astonishing you on this, what, fourth day of Easter tide? Fourth day of Easter. Well, after Easter our... Tide. That's oh, really yes. Easter tide. Yes. Use that. Let's <laughs> use all the lingo we can. Please. I was going to say, how how formal are we, are we going to be in this mm-hmm. podcast after our extremely long <laughs> podcast? <laughs> Sorry. It Sorry. took me a while to edit and get that up. But uh, yeah, hour 52 minutes long. Uh, what's astonishing me uh, today? Um, it's the people of God at Dorida Church. Uh, we highlighted as many members as uh, you know wanted to participate in the Easter worship video, and I was editing that video and watched it Easter Sunday uh, with family. And um, God's people are beautiful and wonderful, and I am moved and so grateful for, uh, moved by, and grateful for you know ordinary believers bringing who they are and their gifts into worship and watching the Lord um, receive those and use those and creating authentic Christian community, authentic Christian worship. And in this season in which we're doing so much online, it's easy to click on a YouTube, uh, uh, someone's YouTube channel or turn on the television uh, to a church service and see some celebrity pastor, I think it's easy for both church leaders and church members to think, boy, if we just had the right big name preacher or the right celebrity preacher or someone who uh, had star quality like that, then our church would really hit a certain kind of stride. I think like that's what we're trying to get to. When yeah. we get to that, we will have achieved or succeeded. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's 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 a model of church that you know the Lord can use. I'm I'm not mad at it, but it's not the only model. And I think a faithful. I know a faithful model is having a diverse group of people, flaws and all, beauty and all, and just submitting who we are to the Lord, that that is attractive. And I was watching the video and we have some people who are um, very articulate in their speech and some people who have very deep Southern accents and some people who are shy and some people who are very loud and um, expressive and all of that together for me was very beautiful. There was one point in which I was editing the video and it just, it moved me to tears because I love these people and I think they're wonderful. And what, um, if there is any grief in it uh, for me, it's, I don't know if they see themselves the way the Lord sees them. Um, One of the things that almost always strikes me when I see the folks, the saints of Derrida Church gathered, is that vision and revelation of the multi-ethnic, multilingual people of God gathered around the throne um, in the the book of Revelation. And uh, once again, I'm just astonished by God's people just showing up and being who they are uh, in all of their wonderful uh, simplicity and beauty and um, uh, giftedness. Well, and I mean, I think what's hard is when we look to the television screen to get our cues as to what church should be, we are looking at a product. And Mm. the reality is what our culture, what our fallen culture calls beautiful and excellent is different than what God Um, calls beautiful and excellent. And when we are formed by the culture and not by the experience of God and the revelation of scripture, then we don't, we don't understand. And, you know, the part of the problem with what you see on TV, um, even churches that I think you're right, like it's, it's not to deny an anointing and it's not to say that it's fake or bad or God doesn't want it, but it it is, we, we, 
A, think everything should be one thing instead of the diversity that really expresses the unity of, of God. And B, like a lot of those things are mass produced in such a way so that you see you see one generation up on the stage mm-hmm. and you see one kind of gifting up on the stage and yes. you see one um you know one kind of appearance up on the stage and then we think like oh well this should be what we have and the reality is the body of christ is not only multi-ethnic it is also multi-generational mm-hmm. it is also economically diverse it is also like there's a diversity of beauty and if you can't see if you can only see the image of god in certain kinds of bodies and in certain kinds of grooming like you are missing you're missing it and i think you know again like the culture we live in is if it's going to celebrate a church at all, it's only going to celebrate a certain kind of church. And we have to understand that what we see, um, especially the witness in scripture, are, are these are small communities of impo- people who have no business being connected to one another except for the fact that Christ is risen. And they don't, I mean, you have Paul saying it straight out, like not many of you were wise and not many of you were wealthy and not many, you know, we have to be able to see that what makes a church holy and powerful is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not the gifting that people bring to the table. And that, actually, my friend Laura wrote a comment on Facebook the other day that cracked me up. She was talking about how sometimes those of us who are who are in churches that the world or would pejoratively or we would proudly label progressive like talk about like i mean whatever every church that has been suckered into fighting the culture war thinks that they're on the side of the savior right and so she was saying like a lot of times progressive churches think like oh you know we've we've got it and and the people who you know are are on the other side, you know, they're idiots and fools. And if they would just be like us, but she says, you know, in a lot of our churches, our progressive churches, it just made me laugh because it's so true. They're like, you know, God could, God couldn't be at best a first year intern, but like we have all of the experience and all of the wisdom and all of the, like, we don't need God because yeah. we are just doing our, our thing for God on God's behalf in God's name. But like, you know, and I just thought that line of like, God could be a first year intern, maybe <laughs> like mm. that's as much room and scope as we will allow God. Anyway, so I think true, like we have to train our eyes to see the glory of somebody who even the quote church world would say has no right or authority, you know, stepping forward to proclaim scripture and stepping forward to, you know, speak um, the verses of the passion and the resurrection and in that embodying, this is my story. I'm part of the story, not because I'm an expert, not because I'm perfect, not because anybody is going to write a best-selling book about my life. Um, not because I have all the answers, but because I'm naming boldly naming, this is my story. I have a right to tell this story. I'm this is, Mm. yeah, that's just really, really beautiful. Yeah. I'm, more and more, I'm learning to embrace weakness, right? Mm-hmm. Because you want to present a certain thing to the world. You want to present comp- competence and confidence to the world. And um, but there is a there is a strength, there is a beauty in embracing weakness. Well, and I think for so long, like we were so focused on trying to make the church look like something mm-hmm. to the world that we're sacrificed being something like and so your your story about just the beauty of that community um some of whom you know the world would label great orators or you know and Mm -hmm. others wouldn't right and Mm -hmm. we know that it's this profound and holy gift that people are offering when they step as particularly people who are stepping beyond their comfort zone are just offering this incredibly precious gift on the altar of worship and like we at the Grove um, have a really, I think, um, unique understanding of what it means to be a worship leader, especially when it comes to our music ministry. And, you know, our 
music ministry, our worship leaders, they are there to lead the people into worship. That is why they're there. They are not performing. Mm -hmm. They are not performers. And excellence for us is not them sounding good on the stage or them impressing the people in the congregation. Excellence, the goal that we are hitting, that we are striving to hit is for them to lead the whole congregation Mm -hmm. to join them in worship in that moment, to, to not watch it, but to experience it. And so our thing is, look, if you will come and prepare, so if you will come and be part of the preparation, they get together once a week and practice. If you will come and prepare, you are welcome. And you believe that God has called you, like you've discerned a sense to call, like you are welcome to be on this team because the worship team is not just there to lead good singers into worship. They are there to lead the whole congregation into worship. And so people need to see people who are like them are up front participating in worship. So there needs to be men and women and people of all generations and all styles. And like, of course, there are people with just astonishing musical gifts and they use them and it's beautiful. And there are people on the stage that from a cultural perspective, you know, they've never sung a solo in their lives. They've never been a part of the choir, but they're worshiping God on the stage and they're leading others like them into worship. And do we really think that the people who look a certain way, that their worship matters more to God than other people's? Do we really think that God thinks that some people's praises are more valuable because they sound different than others. Like we know that's not true. We know that it's the quality and the purity of the heart that pleases God. And so we have to, we have to manifest that in how we like, we are ridiculously in charge of our own culture in our churches. And so we ought not to be trying to mirror American idol when we decide who's going to lead worship in our (laughs) congregation, like a different kind of excellence. So I was recording the uh, the Easter uh, sermon, and there were I I don't know I had a number of verbal slip slip ups and mistakes, and after I finished recording the first time uh, through the sermon, immediately I thought, no, I'm going to do it again to get it right, and I made an intentional decision to leave those mistakes in, so that. It would, um, I don't know if match is the right word, mm-hmm. but but fit in with um, the the very imperfect nature of other parts of our video. And um, man, that was really freeing because uh, normally, right. you know, I might record it two or three times and, you know, uh, try to get it a little more polished. Yeah, but that's not, we're not about polish. We're about authenticity. And like, mm-hmm. That does not mean that we don't care. Like, I think that exactly. is something yes. that sometimes people think like, oh, so anything goes here. No, 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 no. Like, I authentically want things to be more beautiful than they have to be. And I want to go after things that are a little bit beyond our reach all the time. But I'm just saying, like, oftentimes what what the culture would call a mistake or not good enough in God's eyes, I think is really sacred and and really anointed and and we we have to be brave enough to honor that if especially if and it sounds like this is the case in your worship video if people are allowing the holy spirit to lead them to do something that's beyond their comfort level then it then that's glorious yes. and 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 worthy uh, of celebration and the power of that is greater, greater than the power of somebody who maybe speaks in front of others for a living and can just stand up and rattle it off and no problem. And it, it's not, it's, it's not the same kind of gift. Because for me, it means that we are becoming something, right? right. It, we, right. we, we know that we haven't arrived We're we're, we're, um, right. We're and the church in- has to be a place where people can become something. Yes. It has to be a place where yes. you can grow. So if you're only allowed to do something when you're already great at it, then we're just telling people who you are before you came to know Christ is who you'll ever be. Mm-hmm. And that is not faithful. So anyway. So what's astonishing you this week? 
well. <laughs> so I really you are astonishing week. you. <laughs> no, I am not astonishing me. But um, I had a really interesting week last week. Um, I love Holy Week so much. And last week, there's just a lot going on along with Holy Week, which was just strange. And so um, I was... I had was given the opportunity to write an article for our paper, um, our local paper, about the new Barna um, polling data that was released that says that for the first time since they've been recording this data, the number of Americans who profess um, belonging to um, a spiritual community is less than 50%. And um, so the... I know one of the people who's one of the editors and he reached out and said like, Hey, would you like to write an article about what your perspective is on that as a pastor? And honestly, my first response was like, no, I mean, I, I just don't, I very much care about the health and vitality of the church. And I very much care um, that people come to know Jesus but I, you know, the, the kinds of hand wringing that goes on usually in response to articles like that, I'm just really not interested in. Like, I don't, the, the many Christian institutions are becoming weaker. And to your point, I don't think that's the end of the world. I think maybe it's the beginning. So like, mm. <laughs> so I wasn't going to do it. And it was Holy Week. And I was like, I'm just not going to do it. Like, I just don't have any energy around it. And then another friend of mine um, was encouraging me to do it. And, um, so I was like, okay, I'll try. And turns out I had a lot to say <laughs> about it. Um, and, really? and mainly you had a lot uh, to I say know, shockingly shock. I know. Um, and what I want to talk about now is not the article itself, but there was the response to it. So, so a, just to sum up, I think, you know, the fact that the church, um, is not growing, um, I don't think, you know, I think that instead of looking for who to blame for that, the church needs to look in the mirror and to say, like, if God is who God is, then then the gospel is now what it ever has been. And the Holy Spirit is now who the Holy Spirit ever has been. And so if, you know, God is not able to do this salvific work within our institutions, the problem isn't with other people. And it's certainly not with God. Like it's with us. I mean, there are just things that we love more than our mission and more than the gospel. And we need to get just really honest about that. And um, so blah, that was the article. But so what was interesting, and this is um, astonishing and thinking at once. Um, I, so A, I, I just got a lot of responses, emails about it. Um, some of which are just make me they authentically make me laugh um, because I got four responses from men um, who, three of whom sent me an annotated copy of my article. Like they had created a document and, and put my article in there and then had like interposed not the precious blood, but their own thoughts of like, this is why this point is wrong. And this is why this point is wrong. And, you know, and it was really interesting to me. I mean, kind of astonishing to me. Like I just, I, I see things in the world all the time that I disagree with. And there's nothing in me that makes me think I need to reach out to that person and let them know why they're wrong. Right. So it's just kind of astonishing to me that there are people living in the world right now who who really do feel that sense of of ownership of God and who who really feel like it is their um next right action is to write someone and say you don't know scripture or like you've quoted the scripture verse but it's not it's clear to me that you're, you don't know the Lord or you don't know, you're not full of the Holy Spirit or you're an apostate or you need to repent or what. I mean, that's just a really interesting burden to carry around. Um, and I was joking on Facebook that I also think it's really funny that, you know, that the insult, you know, they're, they're trying to insult me by saying like, well, you're just, you're woke or you're a social justice warrior. And I'm like, look, I'm not, 
you know, I'm not aspiring to be either of those terms, but I don't consider them insults. So um, mm-hmm. it was just an, an interesting thing. Um, but what is really astonishing me and what I'm thinking about is the vast number of letters that I got, and and I probably got a hundred emails, and these are all people that had to go and like go find our church website and pull my email. I mean, you know, so it wasn't like it was with the article, and it's just people writing and sharing to me their with me their stories of church hurt, like their stories wow. of this is what happened to me when I was part of the church, and and thank you for saying that the church needs to repent and get back in line with Jesus because, you know, this is what happened when I tried to tell someone that a church staff member abused me. And this is what the church said to my mother who was divorced. And this is what happened when, I mean, you know, like, and so I just, I mean, obviously I, I wrote the article, like I already felt that as the church, we had really, um, we really needed to repent that it's just easy for us to say like, well, the world has changed and that's why nobody wants to be part of our faith communities and too bad on them. But that the reality is we really have failed to be about the values of the kingdom. And we really have failed to love our neighbors and reach out to our neighbors and invite people in. And we really have failed um, in, in our ability to be able to, um, repent when we were wrong and seek forgiveness and reconciliation and just knowing that all to hear from all of these voices from people who who are saying things like I want to believe in Jesus but I can't because I can't go to the church or you know the church has told me that I don't like that I don't belong I, I mean it's just it's hard it's heartbreaking um and I'm just really thinking about um, just what a hunger there is for the Lord and for a community where people, I mean, I think maybe this is full circle with our earlier conversation, like people aren't looking for a rock star pastor or a concert experience on Sunday morning. They're just looking for a safe and healthy community where they can be real and grow and struggle and be vulnerable and not get attacked and not be used and not be shut out. Here's how um, my coach, Tom Bandy, has put that. He said, people are looking for faith champions. And by that, he means not people who live out the faith perfectly, who live it out authentically, who live it out with their flaws and all and allow others to walk out the faith, to live the faith with their flaws and all. And um, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. People are hungry for a community that allows them to bring who they are. I remember <laughs> watching one a church on YouTube and the, the pastor was on the platform. Um, I think he had a had skinny jeans and um, a plaid shirt and a beard and then panned out into the congregation and most of the men looked like they had on plaid shirts and beards and so there's this idea that if I don't if I don't look like uh if I don't have the same economic status as uh, a particular congregation then I don't I don't belong there and so I do think it's it's a powerful thing to have a church community that is diverse in many different ways and welcomes people um, as they are. Well, and like, I think just having sort of a posture that when people come in, I mean, A, we don't attack them and say like, okay, what are you, how are you willing to serve or how are you going to give or how, what, you know, none, none of that. Like when people walk in the door, they are not here to assume responsibility for an institution, right? So mm-hmm. getting rid of that, but also having a really authentic posture of humility to say that the person walking through the door has been led to this place by the Holy Spirit. And we are here to bless and to pour into one another. 
Mm-hmm. So the person walking in the door might have, you know, almost no, you know, Christian experience or no, you know, pre-knowledge of who Jesus is. And that doesn't mean that in a month or 10 years or one year, they might not become your teacher and they might mm-hmm. not be carrying within them a certain, uh, you know, understanding or ability or way of experiencing God or being gifted in terms of spiritual gifting, that that is the missing piece from your faith. And I think, you know, just having this real sense of like expectant mutuality that the person walking through the door, I mean, A, we want to, we, we want to know how we can serve and how we can pour into them, but also knowing that the people who are walking in the door are on their own spiritual journeys and and will also become our teachers. And there's just, I mean, it's, I think we talk about this a lot that like the world is so hierarchical mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's part of you and I talk about, you know, watching our pronouns when it comes to the church, that's not our church, mm-hmm. it's the Lord's church and that we all shift, shift our roles all the time. And it's not about you know, th- this isn't a school where you start off in kindergarten and you have to move up through the ranks. This is not that. And we don't, we don't haze people on the way in and, mm-hmm. and people don't have to earn, earn their sit on the back bench and earn, you know, that there's these their relationships that are, you know, are a different model, like a Trinitarian model of mutuality and, um, shifting and changing and growing so yeah, anyway of, i just one of the newest people I think in sometimes our... oh, go ahead well i was just going to say i think getting all those letters makes me realize sometimes i do function and i fight i fight it but i do find myself um feeling like there's a scarcity like there are only so many people in the world who want to be a part of a jesus community or there are only so many people who, who you know will want to you know be a you know, be a part of the Lord and just getting all of these emails from strangers who read a newspaper article just makes me realize like just that verse about like the harvest is plentiful. Like it's not that like we're so special and spiritual that we have the capacity to love Jesus, but other people don't like we're somehow better. And that's why we're committed. No, like this is, we were made to connect to God in this way. And you know, if we can be here, then anybody on the struggle bus can be here. And um, we got to stop feeling like we're special. Yeah. And not everyone um, has a platform like um, Lil Nas X who can say, okay, look, I've been hurt by the church. And so I'm going to express that. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I mean, how many people are walking around with uh, not only church hurt, but a, a desperate longing to be a part of a church community, but just can't find their way in. Because I remember being outside the church. I remember trying to find um, a church after becoming a believer. And it is very difficult. And I felt a call to ministry. And even with that, um, I, I think I've shared on this podcast before, I remember going to some churches for the first time and you walk in and you feel like you can just sense, oh, these people don't want me here. Um, right. Well, and, it, and I think, you know, that's, yeah, that's because this is spiritual. Like what we're doing is spiritual. Mm-hmm. And and I am famously not a woo-woo kind of person. Like I'm very uncomfortable with how spiritual reality is which is ironic being a pastor. I get it. But I'm just saying like you, I think sometimes we don't recognize that if we don't want people or if we only want certain kinds of people, that's it. Mm-hmm. That, that will be like, people will know it. And so well, going we back really to our to earlier conversation check. about, we want to present yeah. the church with a certain kind of look, a certain kind of feel. We want our church to, to look like a thing. Well, then that means we're going to want only certain kinds of people. And and to say like, we really need to be a thing. Like we need to be a place where we trust that God is up to something and people are being made new and there's no such thing as a worthless person mm. and those who appear strong in the eyes of the world are weak in the kingdom and vice versa. Like we just have to have a posture of, of humility and 
expectation that's focused on God and wonder, like to be able to encounter a human being in front of us and have a posture of, of awe and wonder, not expecting them to be God, like only God is God, but this is a person who is on a journey with the Lord mm. and a person who belongs to Jesus like I do. And, and what is God up to in causing our, our paths to cross? And then, yeah, one of my yeah. favorite sayings of Jesus that I repeat fairly often is my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he begins, come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And how many people experience the church as an easy yoke? A place of rest. A place of rest, mm-hmm. right? And I'm wondering how many people experience me as a pastor, especially those outside of the church, as a person with an easy yoke, as a place of rest. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I, I'm very self-conscious of pre-pandemic when I would go to certain places and people find out I'm a pastor, I can feel their tightening. It's like, okay, here comes the judgment, right? Well, and I think like that part of the verse you know, and I'm just thinking about this because of reading that book right now that's out, Dale Ortland. I think I already talked about it on the podcast, but you know, the, in that verse, Jesus is saying, Why come to me, all you who are reading, you know, my yoga seat? Because my heart is gentle and lowly. Like yes. God's heart yes. is gentle and lowly. Yes. And so then the question is, like, do we have that heart? Mm. Like, do we have a heart of gentleness and lowliness? And I mean, I guess like when I get these responses from people who are just so bravely and so beautifully and so vulnerably saying, I'm, I've been so hurt, like, and, and so thank you for making it so that I'm not crazy. And also people saying like, I don't, I don't feel like that means that I don't love Jesus though. Right. Like I know I don't belong to a church, but I still think that I can be a Christian. And I just want to say like, well, yes. Right. And, and, you know, those, these are people reaching out with the spirit of gentleness and lowliness and saying like, I'm broken and here's my story of brokenness. And then the contrast to that with the people who are reaching out to me from this place of extreme certainty and authority and power and strength, and there's no gentleness and there's no lowliness and saying like, this is no, this is who God really is. And this is why every, all these issues are wrong. And like, well, good, goodness. In these two groups of people, whose heart seems more like the heart of Jesus in Jesus's own words? Like, it's not the people who are reaching out as if they are the only like certified commodified brokers of holiness. You know, like Jesus is not confined to the limits of the organizations that we call churches. And so like the Holy Spirit is still going to do that, that work. And, um, we don't own, we don't own God and we certainly don't control God. So anyway, that's what I am (laughs) astonished and thinking about. And what are you thinking about? Well, I am thinking about, um, I believe her name is Jennifer Bates in Bessemer, Alabama. Uh, She is the woman who has um, sparked the vote now to establish a labor union um, in the Amazon company down there in Alabama. And I grew up in a home that, um, I mean, you would always see like t-shirts and bumper stickers with, uh, promotions for uh, labor unions because my mother was a member of the Steel Workers Union of America. And so my understanding is that unions uh, protect the, um, the, the rights of the common worker, uh, rights that can often be uh, denied by uh, uh, wealthy powerful uh, companies and that unions serve a beautiful and wonderful and necessary purpose. And, you know, (laughs) I saw a picture online with uh, a woman 
um, holding out, holding a sign outside of an Amazon warehouse that said, um, Jeff Bezos can afford <laughs> to treat his workers fairly, right? Yeah. What is worth 170 billion with a B dollars. And I'm thinking, okay, if there's a place where people of different ethnicities in America can come together and agree, it ought to be here. Um, I, I believe something like uh, 25, 26% of Amazon's workforce is African-American, like 36% is white, uh, 13, 15% is Asian-American. Just the fair treatment of workers should be a place where we all say, Yes. And yet there's been great pushback uh, from Amazon and in resisting unions. And I just recently learned that this has been happening for a while, even though this news story has been prominent lately, that Amazon has been pushing back against unions for a while. And so I'm very hopeful that... um, these folks will unionize and, and move this forward because that woman with the sign outside of, of Amazon is right. They can afford this. And something has shifted since the pandemic, right? Now that we're doing much more shopping online, this is to Amazon's benefit. And jobs have been moving out of retail right. into these kind of warehouse jobs. And these warehouse jobs are are more like factory jobs. They're much more, um, they they involve much more physical labor. And I've worked in a factory and um, factories can be really hard work. Yeah, I mean, they were saying, I was reading an article recently that um, Amazon at first had um, refuted the claims of, workers and I think these were drivers that they often had to urinate in bottles and defecate mm-hmm. in bags because otherwise they could not reach their shift quotas um, to deliver and you know and and the initial pass with their public relations committee was like that's ridiculous if that were true no one would work for us and they had to come back and say actually, you're right. This mm-hmm. is true, and whatever. And and then they shifted the blame to say like it's because there's no public accommodations for workers or whatever. But I just think like this is a common reality: is that people stand up and say, "This is my lived experience as a worker," and then the response from often the public is, "No, that's not true," right? Because it's so disturbing that we think like I can't. I, I don't want to admit that this is true because it would mm-hmm. force me to make changes. And I, and I think, um, so just watching that dynamic play out and watching Amazon itself have to remember, have to publicly acknowledge, yes, it is necessary for our employees to urinate and defecate in bags. Like this is something that we have decided is reasonable for them to hit our standards. And then that the response is not, okay, we need to shift what we're requiring of people. It's then to pass the blame and say like, oh, there aren't enough publicly accessible restrooms. I mean, that that's insane to me. And I think, again, is it possible that unions can become too powerful as well? Yes. I mean, the, 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 anything, any institution can become dangerous if it becomes power, power in a way that's unchecked, right? So but I, I think for any believer, when you talk about people unionizing, like the story that has to be in the forefront of our minds is the story of the Hebrew slaves being required to have their quotas of bricks being like increased and increased and then forced to make bricks without straw. And this idea that we see in scripture that it is possible for institutions to prioritize wealth accumulation over human beings like that is Mm -hmm. a human thing that happens and so that's a danger that we have to be ever aware of and present you know and and monitoring and so the idea that you know I don't think that unions are you know they're not the end-all be-all of anything I don't have my Mm -hmm. faith and trust in unions but they're also not what so many in the Christian community have bought into this lie that they are somehow demonic or you know that socialism is of the devil and you know the reality is or that they're anti-capitalist. 
Right. And well, and I would just say that the the degree to which we worship capitalism in this country is a huge problem because, you know, and I think as believers, we need to understand that capitalism is not a biblical system. Is socialism either also not right like that? I'm just Correct. saying like we need to understand mm-hmm. that the system we prefer or the system that we're familiar with is not necessarily the holy system. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, the problem with the sign with a woman holding it up and saying Jeff Bezos can afford to pay his workers fairly. I mean, true and too easy because it's not just just Jeff Bezos who is profiting off of the way that things are. It is, you know, all of the shareholders and frankly, all of us, myself of included, us. who are saying, I, I, you know, I want this, I want it this fast and I want it at this price. And so it's just really important for all of us to say like, Hey, I, I'm accountable for this too. And it's not, I can't just demonize, um, Jeff Bezos, even though any more than you can demonize just Pharaoh in the Exodus story, like we are all um, benefiting and profiting from this, from this system. So it is, yeah, it'll be really interesting. I mean, to me, I, I care very much about the workers. I, I try to care very much about the workers and I am interested um, to see how this comes out. And I am praying for God's will to be done and knowing that God, there is, God does have a will in terms of this situation. But I'm also just very interested in how the church talks about this, engages or doesn't engage in this, because that's, you know, that's our lane. So, um, okay, I said I wasn't going to, oh, go ahead. Well, so often in the church, we talk about morality, but somehow we end up divorcing poverty from our morality talk. Right. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible has a lot to say about how we treat the poor, how we treat those who are at a disadvantage. And it's a moral issue. Right. I mean, to the point that, and we moved away from this PDQ, to the point that it is illegal under the covenant to charge interest, right? It is Mm -hmm. illegal to profit and accumulate wealth off of the misfortune of your neighbor, right? Like literally, you're not allowed to do that in the covenant. So that's anathema to us now. We think we are a Bible-believing Christian nation. It would never occur to us that there could be a system wherein you would loan someone money. I mean, again, it's not illegal, and there's lots of rules built around how you loan someone money. So it's not the expectation that you would never loan someone money, but it is absolutely an expectation that you would loan them money without expecting to be enriched by the process. So there are laws about how you can get your loan back, right? But there are not, you're not allowed to um, enrich yourself. And we just act like, I mean, to your point, like we just act like economics is just all, you know, all's fair in love and war and God doesn't care. And as long as like there are rules, there are laws, but they have nothing to do with God's laws. And that's ridiculous. And Far be it for me to ever say anything complimentary about John Calvin, who I think we idolize way too much in the Presbyterian Church. But that's what I think is very interesting about the translation of the Lord's Prayer about debts and debtors is that we are like, oh, those are metaphorical debts and debtors. And we're talking about sin. And 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 Calvin definitely had this understanding that our debts and debtors, that our economic debts were moral issues. And that was part of what he was trying to force people to reckon with is that you don't have your spiritual life and your economic life and never the two shall meet. Like your economic life is your spiritual life, which makes sense to anyone who reads, I don't know, the gospels because (laughs) Jesus talks about the morality of money all the time. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he said, you cannot worship God and wealth. Mm. You can't do it. But we whoo, we have been trying to worship God <laughs> and tried. wealth in this country for a long time. And explicitly lying and saying that wealth is a sign of mm. faithfulness and mm-hmm. favor, which is just such blasphemy. Mm. And we get away with it, which 
I said I didn't want to talk about anything other, but I do want to talk about Rachel Hollis because it comes right into this conversation. And you probably don't know who Rachel Hollis is, do you? Mm-mm. So Rachel Hollis is a um, Christian female woman influencer, momfluencer, and she's very popular. She, I mean, I has a, a and it's not my point. It is not my place to decide who is or isn't a Christian, right? But she. She has a series of books and they're very popular in the Hobby Lobby stores. Um, and they've been on the bestseller seller list. And the first one was called Girl, Wash Your Face. And the second one was called Girl, Quit Apologize, Stop Apologizing. I have seen those. Um, so she basically, um, I mean, she's a very pretty white woman who I think like really struggled with Bell's palsy. And so her first book was was kind of out of, I have not read it Um autobiographical and just really talking about how she was sort of struggling with this, um, with this disease and how she really had to just kind of accept it and get up and wash her face and move on with her life and whatever. So fine. That's her story. She told it. It's great. And then the second book was, I, I think generously about how sort of women, care too much about what other people think and you should not, you know, you shouldn't walk through your life apologizing for things that are not, you know, you have, are not transgressions. So you don't have to apologize about whatever. You don't have to apologize about how other people feel uncomfortable. I don't know. Haven't read that book either. Um, and again, I do not think she is evil or garbage. And I think that she is very much, a believer in like meritocracy and the secret, right? Like she washed her face. She quit apologizing. She manifested Mm. her destiny. And now she's very, very successful and very, very wealthy. And, um, and she made, made, um, quite the scan. She's made lots of scandals. Actually. She's, she has gotten called out for plagiarizing and she has gotten called out for, um, like there was last year in, Black History Month, like she she quoted Maya Angelou but didn't attribute Maya Angelou and people called her out on it. And then she said it was her team's fault, whatever. And then last week, she, um, I think, was like making a post and like talking about how grateful she was that she, and she mentioned that she has a housekeeper, which is, I mean, great. Um, I also pay someone twice a week to come in and clean my house because it's cheaper than marriage therapy and it's a good thing. And I'm very, I'm very grateful for it. Um, anyway, she was talking about that and someone in her comments said to her, you're, you're privileged AF. And if you don't know what AF means, I won't refine, define it for you. And she responded back and she said, I am privileged. And, um, something like I work really hard for everything I have. And the woman and again, this is just a commenter said back to her, well, you're not relatable. And so then in response to that, Rachel Hollis made a video. So she's talking straight into the camera and she's talking about this incident. So it was just in the hundreds of thousands of comments on her page and she elevated it and did a video and she did this video and it's amazing. She said, you called me, you say I'm not relatable. What makes you think I want to be relatable? If I'm relatable, I have failed. Everything I do in my life is to make sure that I am not like other people. Other people won't get up at 4 a.m. Other people won't work this hard. Other people, and she said, and all, and on this women's month, all the women I admire, none of them are relatable. If I'm relatable, I've failed. And then in the tags of this video, she tagged um, Harriet Tubman. And so oh, no. truth. Oh no. Callow. And like oh, all no. these women, I was like, all of these women are not relatable and I don't want to be relatable anyway. Oh no. Either. Yes. Oh, and no. so people went from bad to worse. I mean, like people understandably, I mean, not people, men don't even know about this, but women are, you know, lots of women were really calling her out and being like, Are you really, are you really gonna compare yourself? to Harriet Tubman, like you are a lifestyle influencer. Um, and, and then just calling out sort of the deeper troubling theology philosophy of her life, which is 
I have everything I have because I earned it. Mm -hmm. And anybody who works as hard as me could have what I have. And that is just such a pervasive um, ideology in our culture all the time that everything is fair. There is a meritocracy. Everybody has what they have because it's what they deserve. Um, Mm. And she just is um, articulating something that's really true to a lot of people and particularly really um, attractive to a lot of, again, men don't listen to her, but white women who are tired of thinking about systemic racism and are tired of feeling bad um, when they encounter the truth of how hard it is to be a person of culture, a person of color in our culture. And, you know, if you are a person who has any sense of compassion towards others, then your response to that is going to be, you're going to feel bad. Like those are hard. That's a hard reality to live. Those are hard stories to tell and they're hard stories to hear. And if you just don't want to feel bad, then the philosophy of girl, wash your face and quit apologizing is a great philosophy because it just says that if my life is good, I don't have to care about how anybody else's life is bad. And if I have anything in my life, it's because I worked for it. I earned it and I deserve it. And, and, and if your life is bad, it's your fault. It's your fault because you did not work hard enough. And so, um, you know, I, and I think, you know, part of it is this idea that, you know, when the church begins to worship superstars, just like the culture does, right. Mm. Instead of being able to say, you know what, my wealth is not the kind of wealth that can be accrued in a bank account. And the kind of richness I'm, you know, I'm seeking in my life is not financial, it's relational. And, you know, I'm hungry, not for the finest things, but for righteousness. You know, I mean, we have to, it's not that people, people want, need, I think we were made to strive for something, but we have to, in the church, let the gospel define what we're striving for and not just sort of put a Jesus bumper sticker on the same old American dream. Um, so anyway, that Rachel Hollis is is um, trending right now. And she then released another video and said that it was her teen's fault. I guess. <laughs> so it's just a lot. So the jokes are... The jokes are epic and, you know, lots of things like, girl, you better start apologizing. <laughs> it's some, some good, good stuff. Um, but again, Christians wow. fall into this trap because she, you know, she is invited to speak at all the headlining Christian conferences. And again, Hobby Lobby, which is saying like, we are a major Christian corporation and this is why we, are, you know, stand out of line with certain government policies because they're, uh, you know, but 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 her book and her ideology definitely pass the gatekeepers of this place, which is which is marketing Christianity. And, you know, so um, it's really important that people are able to differentiate between what looks good mm. and what is good and what appears to be holy and godly and what actually is holy and godly, which is often like Jesus, what's rejected by the world. So, Yeah, that um, a powerful reminder to me that in my preaching, I really need to emphasize us following Jesus mm-hmm. and not the kind of Christianity that says, if you accept Jesus into your life, Jesus will help you get your agenda done. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus will help you do the thing you want to do. Uh, mm-hmm. Essentially, you can use Jesus to further your agenda. Jesus um, as Red Bull. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But us following Jesus, which going back to our earlier conversation again, that's the heart hunger of a lot of people. How right. do I authentically follow Jesus? I've, I've got church hurt. So I've, I've had a hard time finding a, a community in which I feel um, um, safe, bringing my flaws and all, but still there's this heart hunger to follow Jesus. And when you read the New Testament, 
you see this, right? The, the, the people who criticize Jesus and the people for whom Jesus had his you know, toughest criticism were the religious leaders. Right. And it right. was the outcasts who were drawn to Jesus. It was the mm-hmm. outcasts who experienced the power, the grace of Jesus. It was the outcasts who said, I, I don't understand fully. And they didn't. They did not understand. They said, but I want to follow him. Um, right. And I think, you know, part of the idea of, of sort of being able to articulate what's different about the Jesus way than the way of the culture is, I mean, it is fundamentally about do what we are, what we are offered in Jesus and what we are going after and what we are seeking is something that everyone can have. I mean, there's just no scarcity and there's no competition. I mean, what we're after is shalom, which is the mutual flourishing of all mm-hmm. people. And and I think this idea that, you know, Rachel Hollis can say the worst thing you could ever say to me is that I'm relatable. I mean, Jesus is relatable. Literally, yes. dude is in heaven <laughs> with every and you know, and leaves it all behind to calm down and be with, right? Mm-hmm. Putting aside every advantage to walk with and live with, right? Like, so, so this idea that we don't want to be set above or apart, I mean, like that genuinely should not be what we are desiring because that's not the heart of Jesus. Again, the heart of Jesus Mm. is gentle and lowly. So if, if that disgusts and offends us, I mean, okay, like that's all of our flesh. So again, I'm not saying she's garbage. I'm just saying like someone has lied to her about mm-hmm. who Jesus is, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't want to be relatable, yes. then I don't know what you do with Jesus, who could have stayed up in the heavenly realm and hurled lightning bolts down at all of us and elevated a select few, and you know, and that's like, I mean, not to be pejorative about religions I don't understand, but like those, that is explicitly the pagan gods we're going after right that that god is calling people away from ashereth and baal and these gods who are are fickle and mercurial and unknowable and would as, just as soon you know destroy a follower as answer their prayers right like god is saying this is not who i am but if you want a god who is exclusive you don't want jesus mm, 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 mm. anyway um, what you preaching about this week, my friend? Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I, I, I thought um, I was going to take this Sunday off just because of post-Easter fatigue. And um, I still may, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about a substitute. And so I'm, I'm just at an in-between place. Um, I have not receive clarity from the spirit um, about if to preach and what to preach. Um, But I have to admit what's bouncing around in my head is that um, that resurrection appearance text where the disciples are locked in the upper room and Jesus appears to them and speaks peace and then breathes on them and and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, Whoever you forgive. Mm-hmm. will be forgiven mm-hmm. um yeah yeah i i don't know what the lord might want me uh to do with that but uh that's that's what's uh that's what's bouncing around in my heart and mind uh, and especially um jesus giving the disciples peace mm-hmm. um and i just think that's that's a word for us in this season both as we've you know, come through this whole year of pandemic, but also as we start thinking about uh, going back to in-person services and going back to things that we used to do. Um, if I tell the truth, that produces some anxiety within me because mm-hmm. there's there's a part of this uh, stay-at-home life that is very comfortable for me. Uh, and so uh, going back is is going to be work. And so to have the, the peace of Jesus and the power of Jesus that he breathes on us um, and the Holy Spirit is is important for this next stage of the journey that we're on. 
So maybe I just preached my sermon. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it sounds like you have a sermon. Um, it sounds like you have a sermon that people need right now. I mean, I do think, again, we let the world frame our understanding of the invitation from Jesus. And so we, mm. <laughs> I have a friend who used to wear a shirt that said, Jesus is coming, look busy. And I think <laughs> this idea that, you know, our life with God begins from a place of rest, which is obviously very biblical, like, and, and this idea that we, you know, I mean, Jesus calls us, calls us to the harvest, but the yoke is easy and the burden is light. And I think we, we pull the same levers and strings in the church that the world pulls because that's how the world produces results. So scarcity, anxiety, you know, competition, and to be able to say, like, can we really walk trusting that anything that, anything that needs doing, God is doing, and we're not doing it in our own strength and power. So we, there's, we can announce peace and we can be communities of peace. And, you know, I think sometimes we think of, if we don't guilt and shame people, who will do the ministry. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I know that that was a big um, motivation from uh, when people were debating whether or not women could be Mm. ordained was like, gosh, like there's no theological argument not to ordain women, but if we ordain them to be pastors, then who will do all the work? (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. Oh, wow. Wow. So what about you? What are you preaching? Well, we are starting a new worship series on practices, Mm. um, sort of, so what are the, um, what are the things that we do that form us? And I um, hope, I was talking with the folks that um, we plan worship with from the Grove, and the plan is that we will have individual members from the community record kind of um, midweek testimonials about individual practices that they find meaning in life and to share, Um, but that on Sunday morning, I would be able in the preaching moment to focus on like, what are the communal practices that shape and grow us and define us? And so um, what I want to preach about, um, and I'm not sure how, um, but I want to preach one of these weeks on boundaries and how we can be a community where, I mean, to this point, like where we don't operate in guilt and shame and anxiety and we are a community where, um, a yes can be yes and a no can be no. And we don't, um, so I want to do that one of the weeks and I want to do one of the weeks on how do we practice community? Like how do we really, um, which is very informed by the, you know, letters I've been getting from people this week. How, how can we be a community where people can be safe to be vulnerable and honest? And how can we be a community where we trust that, um, we can tell the truth to one another when we harm one another and not just sort of put labels on people and, and protect ourselves from one another. So I, I want to do those. I just don't know if I want to do them this week. Um, and I do feel like, even though I pre- I preached that John 20 before Easter in this sermon series on forgiveness, um, but I do feel like it's important in these weeks after Easter to be preaching the so whatness of resurrection, like because like the resurrection happened and mm-hmm. it is the defining event of all of reality for mm-hmm. us. And so, you know, you don't want to just put Easter in a box and move on. You want to say to people like, because of the resurrection, what are these practices that we engage in? So I have more questions than answers and it's Wednesday, which <laughs> is, is not good. Um, I mean, it's fine that it's Wednesday. It's not good that this is where we are in our practice, but oh, well, truth in advertising. <laughs> this is the inside look at pastoring the week after Easter. So, um, so last week was a super long podcast. So we'll try to make this one a little more reasonable. So thank you all so much for listening 
And if you would like to find out more about Yolando and the ministry over at Derrida Presbyterian Church, that's D-E-R-I-T-A pres.org on their website. Um, and you can um, worship with them and go to the Derrida Prez channel on YouTube and you can see this beautiful worship video that we have been talking about. It's beautiful and holy Easter worship video. And um, you can find lots of bingeable content in the form of old Yolando Hinton sermons and messages, which are wonderful on the Podbean website. Just look for the Derrida Prez uh, page. And if you want to find out more about The Grove, um, our website is thegrovecharlotte.org. Um, you can sign up for our newsletter there, which comes out every Friday. You can um, worship with us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on our Facebook page. You do not have to have a Facebook account to be a part of that. And you can find old worship services there. And you, if you'd like to listen to old messages from The Grove, um, you can download them on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for The Grove Church podcast. Thank you all for listening to us. Next week, we might even actually take a walk or run together because we have Ooh. both been vaccinated. Fully. Super exciting. <laughs> um, so thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.